Welcome to the River City Church Podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. This, we say we are badly broken. Yes, you are. Grace and peace to you. In the beginning, those are powerful words. It means in the beginning. It means there is a moment before. And at that very beginning, at the very start of it all, God created everything and it was good. And that's important. As God surveyed creation, and a part of that creation was mankind created in God's image, male and female, reflecting the goodness and the fullness and the creative instinct of God present in earth. And God surveyed the whole landscape and he saw it and he said, that is good. And Genesis 2 is a picture of God taking mankind, male and female, and he places them in the garden. And he gives them a job to do. And the job in the garden for mankind is to reflect God's image into creation, right? And part of that is will. It's desire. It is the ability to choose, right? And one evidence of that is we have, you know, we're told that one of man's, mankind's job was to name all the animals, right? And so what we find is God kind of hanging out watching, right? And, you, and if you kind of imagine in the spot, it's this great kind of story where Adam and Eve are just like, that look that it's a rabbit and God's like rabbit it is all right right but there's not this sense of God leaning in their ear going that's an antelope and Adam and Eve are like these robot oh that's antelope. no they get to exercise their will and their choice and it were told that it was good God created everything and it was good and then we get to chapter three not very far into the story and we read about in Genesis chapter three you read about the fall where does the fall come from? How do we get from a good creation to the fall? The question is, what could possibly cause Adam and Eve to make a choice that would cause all of that to tumble? What, to, to tumble? what is the nature of that fall? And so we read about that, but we know what happened, right? It's they were tempted. And again, how do you tempt somebody in a good world? If you want to tempt somebody to do something, to respond to you, what's the mechanism for that? How do you do that? Well, we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he says to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it. He didn't say that. He said, don't eat that tree or you will die. Now I just want to pause real quick and say and imagine in the picture of creation, right? Because we're told that God said it was all good and he's walking with Adam and Eve and part of his goodness was, hey, Adam and Eve, stay away from that tree. And I'm like, what about that tree? No, you can have that tree. What about that tree? No, you can have that tree. What about all the, all the trees? Just not that one. So all the, yes. And God looked over that and said, that's good. Verse four, you will not certainly die. Now we've got a problem because I've got conflicting stories. Do I trust God that all of this is good, including the limits on that one tree? Or do I trust this other? Like, what, what's, like, what do I do? Because with, with, the, the tree in it, you know, and then, 
when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, for, oh wait, it goes back, right? He knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So he just kind of plants the seed. Is that what God said? What, I, want, I, want, you know, I wonder why God would say that. Why would, what, like, what, shouldn't he want you to be? And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, what's in there is there in a garden. There's lots of trees with food. So the food was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. It looked good, big red Shiny apple, but it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. Now, a lot gets made of the fruit, but I don't think the thing was the fruit. I don't think it matters whether it was a persimmon or an apple or an orange or a watermelon or a pomegranate. I just don't think it matters. I think what matters is in a moment, all of creation that they had known, they had walked in and experienced the presence and the goodness of God. They had eaten from trees. They had experienced all of that and suddenly there's the seed of doubt in their ears can you really trust God to give you what's good and that's the question that echoes throughout history because what Eve said was like yeah sure I mean that tree's good that tree's fine that tree's good but you know the tree that I really want that one I wonder why God would tell me not to have that and so we begin to doubt we begin to question and the whole seed of that doubt is this temptation to give in to the desire of more for me. Yeah, sure, all that stuff is fine, but I want what's good. I want, and what's interesting is, right, what was the tree? The tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. And what we're told is after they ate it, they looked down, and their opinion of God didn't change. They ran from him because they saw that he was good. What changed was their awareness of themselves. Did something happen in their moral character between that? No, it was just revealed. It just showed up. And so they, Adam and Eve, facing a choice, they stood before the tree and they chose, I want more for me. That's the whisper of our culture. Our culture will whisper. It'll tell you. It'll haunt you in the evenings. And it, what it tells you is that your best life, if you want your best life, if you want what is best for you, your best life is getting everything that you want. When you get all the stuff that you want, when you get the house that you want and the car that you want and you get a full grocery and a full freezer and your kids are like, you know, little Stepford kids and they're always wonderful and beautiful and well-behaved, when you get all of that, then you will have the good life. And something subtle happens, because like, we look and we just go, oh, what's wrong with having the good house? What's wrong with the car, right? Is that, isn't that good? Should I that? The problem is, the danger is, when we opt into that and we buy that, the metric of goodness is my experience, period. Well, that tree looks good. And the question becomes, why wouldn't God want me to have that? And so the question becomes, What's ultimate? James tells us, you see, James looks at, it's in the back of the, kind of the New Testament, he was Jesus' brother, and he has a different perspective on desire. See, we look at him in des desires and go, our desires are the pathway towards every good thing that I want. James says it this way. James chapter one, starting in verse 13, he says this, when we're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now that word 
tempt, like we have it in English, but in the Greek word that kind of, it's more like, like a test. Okay, it's more like, um, like, like a trial, like it's a way kind of to look and see, right? So, so no one, God doesn't, God doesn't tempt us. He, he, he'll test us, though. He'll allow us to be tested. And so here's what it is. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. The problem wasn't with the tree. The problem was Eve and Adam looking at it and going, I want that. I want to have that. And then the whisper, well, shouldn't you have that? Well, that'll make you like God. And so the question, the temptation, is what is actually good? What is goodness? Is goodness having limited, being limited, having a limited exposure experience with purpose and intimacy which, by the way, they had experienced. They had purpose in the garden, naming the animals, tending it, right? The whole deal is in the garden, it was this simple place. Their job was to expand it. Fill the earth with the goodness of this creation. Just don't eat that tree. And again, right, it's like I tell my kids, don't touch this candle, right? What do my kids do? What, what, that's all right. You can't out ADD me, bro. I'm good, right? I tell my kids, right, what do my kids do? I'm not touching it. And then sure enough, they touch it and they grab it. And now we have a problem, right? What is good? Is goodness limited? Don't touch that. But you can have all of the intimacy and purpose that you want. Or is the ultimate goodness unfettered, unhindered, unchecked liberty and freedom to do whatever I want? And again, they'd never had that, but they were promised. The goodness that I experienced, limitations, but with intimacy or unlimited independence, which they were promised. And they chose. And that's the temptation. The temptation comes when we says, I want, I reserve the right to have ultimate say in my life. We see this all the time, right? We say, I want control of my life, right? I want to control what happens. Well, the problem is all these things influence us, right? They come to bear and say, I want to control in my life. The problem is, if you're a parent and you're raising kids, well, these are independent little people, right? I want to control my children, where you can't really control your children. I want to control everything. And the problem is then when we bump up against things that we can't control, we are tempted. Tempted to what? To anxiety. Did you know anxiety and fear are, are temptations, right? Because the question is, am I going to give in to that? Or am I going to trust that there's something better? Am I just going to, okay, yeah, I don't have yeah, I'm limited. I, I, I don't control all those things, so I'm going to rest in that. I go to work, and I sit down there, and I go, I have this thing that I should do. And I say, I want to do something else. That's the temptation to procrastinate. Will I do what I want to do, even if it's nothing? Or will I do what I'm supposed to do and make things go and make things work? I want dopamine. I want to feel something. My life is hard. I want to feel something. And I can feel something, and I'm going to grown up, so I don't use drugs. But you know what I do use? Ham sandwich. <laughs> Love it. Now, I'm not using food for sustenance. I'm not using food to satisfy and to nourish myself. I'm using food to feel something. 
I'm using food to make something happen in my, in my brain. Well, what happens then is those things become our downfall. Those things become the temptation. Who says what's good? Is good procrastination? Is good anxiety? Is good a ham sandwich? Our desires are natural. They come to us. They're part of being human. Now, whether we make them ultimate or not, that is a spiritual decision. I can't decide not to be hungry. I can't decide not to want control. Listen, I want to control everything all the time. What I can decide is whether I make my ability to control things ultimate and final. And since we see our response to desires is a spiritual matter, we can find Jesus. For the next three weeks, we're going to look at 11 verses in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter four. It's the temptation Jesus. And so we find this idea play, this desires, this sense of God has created something good and he has placed us in it. And there's always this temptation to feel like God is holding out. God hasn't truly given you what's good. Goodness is what I can get and find for myself. And so in Matthew chapter four, starting in verse one, we find this. Now, if you go right back before this, we have Jesus at his Baptism. We're going to have a baptism today, right after third service. Listen, side note, if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, today should be the day for you. We're going to do it right outside. You can leave after this. You can go home. You can get changed. You come back. We'll get you wet. We'll baptize you. It'll be awesome. It'll be wonderful. Jesus had just done that. And as Jesus came out of the Jordan River, a dove landed on his shoulder and a voice from God in heaven said, that's my boy. I'm so proud of him. Can you imagine coming up out of the baptism waters and you have that voice in your head, right? And you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I mean, he's so proud of me and God loves me and he's happy and he's good. And so what would you expect, man? I would expect, I would go home and it's like, oh my gosh, there's a Lexus with a red bow on it in my driveway, right? And my kids are well behaved and all right. And I, oh my gosh, I'm 20 pounds lighter and my hair grew back and all of the good things, right? Like God is good and he is proud of me and he loves me and all, it's up and to the right from here on baby right Jesus gets out he's still dripping wet then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil bro not what I had in mind and yet we find this part of the human experience now listen I am encouraged to find that Jesus was tempted here do you know why because I am tempted often also what this tells me is that when I read about Jesus, I'm not reading about some disembodied spiritual thing that is disconnected. No, I'm reading about a real person who had real needs and desires and flesh and physicality and all of these things. And the fact that he was tempted gives me courage and it gives me hope that he's showing me how I can respond in these same situations. And remember, the question is, ultimately, what is good, right? And so, God leaves him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. Listen, God will allow you to be tested. Do you know why? If I take my car and I go to the mechanic, what are they going to do? I've got to go, it's got a thing. It's going like, right? What they're going to do is they're going to run it up. They're going to put it up on the thing. What are they going to do? They're going to start it, and they're going to run it to test it, to see if they can make it fail right? Because they, they're going to come in and be like, yeah, your, brilliant, your muffler bearings are shot and your blinker fluid's low and you just fix those things and you'll be good to go and you'll be out, right? And I'm just like, pay the man his money, get him out, right? And go through, right? That's what a test does. It reveals, there's no such thing as blinker fluid. 
I thought that was funnier than I guess it was, but I'm okay. So Jesus goes out in the wilderness to be tested, to see, right? And he goes out there, and in chapter 4, verse 2, right? It says, after fasting, fasting is not eating, after fasting for 40 days, and I love the understatement in Scripture, right? After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, right? Like, I ate 30 minutes ago, and I'm hungry, right? So Jesus fasting for 40 days. Here's the thing about that, though. When you fast for any period of time, you go and you, you know, abstain from food. After about three days, you're not hungry anymore. You have like, like diminished some energy, right? And it goes for a point. And what the doctors say is when you fast, you're not hungry anymore. What they say is when you start to get hungry again, you're starving to death, okay? You're about to die. And so here we have Jesus, the son of God, out in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. He's hungry. And verse three, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, pause, if. Now, this wasn't Satan standing back and going, it looks like Jesus, but I can't tell with the beard. I thought his eyes would be bluer, right? No. This is not if, like I'm not sure who you are. This is Satan having just seen the baptism. This is Satan coming out to Jesus and going, prove it. Prove it. You say you're this? Show me. What do, you, what, do you, what do you got there? What's, what's that all about, right? And here's the question. Jesus came as Messiah, right? He came to, to save and to redeem his people. And the question for Jesus as he faces this, and we come, the first one's gonna be like bread, right? Turn stones into bread. It comes up and he, the question behind Jesus is, Jesus, what kind of king are you gonna be? Are you gonna be the kind of king that uses every need at your disposal, everything, are you going to, are you going to stack the deck, Jesus? Are you going to show up on earth, and are you going to use every ounce of your personal power and prerogative to get what needs to be done, done at any cost? Jesus, do the ends justify the means, or are you going to be a different kind of Messiah? There was a Messiah was talked about in Isaiah chapter 53, talked about it like this. He described him this way, he says, he grew up like a tender shoot and root out of dry ground. Listen, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus didn't show up as Brad Pitt. Because listen, Brad Pitt walks in the room and I'm like, I'll follow that guy. <laughs> Wasn't like that. He was despised. He was rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. You're like, God, that's your guy? You, get, you can do better than that, right? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That's the question. Hey, if you're the son of God, you're God, you can do what you want. Bypass all that pain and hurt. Bypass, you don't want to be that kind of Messiah. Be a different kind of Messiah. The whisper is, hey, look, because he goes down second part of that if you're the son of god tell these stones to become bread and you can imagine him whispering in his ear can you imagine the crowds you can draw if you can turn food from nothing jesus you don't have to do the cross jesus why are you hungry you're god's son you're god's child why are you starving in the wilderness would god really do that 
to you. Now listen, we are not Messiah. At no point in your life is the enemy going to come whisper in your ear, you need to turn stones to bread because we're not like alchemists, right? That's outside of our, of our power and our prerogative and we can never get there to that place. But the question for us is, as followers of Jesus, as Jesus is, as children of God, what do we believe about our position? Do we believe that our proximity to Jesus entitles us, entitles us to exemption from certain human experiences. Do we believe that because I've followed Jesus, I don't ever have to be sad? Because I've followed Jesus, I will never want for anything. Because I've followed Jesus, everything is always going to be good. And we sit here and we just say, well, no, 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 no. Yet, so many times in my own life, everything is great until like the slightest little thing goes wrong. He hates me. What's wrong with me? But that's that temptation. Jason, don't, don't, would God ask you to, well, surely God wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want that kind of thing. And so when he says, hey, if you're God's son, since you're God's son, just go ahead and use your power to, to, to make your own thing. Just, Jesus, there's nothing wrong with being hungry, right? Just go ahead and satisfy yourself. Go make, make some bread. It, it, it's going to be God. Would God want you to be hungry? That's the temptation. And that's a temptation for us. That's the question that we want and that we know. If I follow Jesus, can I trust him when it's uncomfortable? And this is really a matter of priority for us. You hear? This is a matter of priority. This is a thing for us. Do I trust God who is eternal or do I trust myself who is very limited and temporal? Do I believe what God tells me is good or do I believe what my appetites and my desires tell me is good? Here's the question. Do we prioritize church or do we prioritize something else? Hey, look, I love to go to church, but man, I work hard and I just got to rest and I got to play and I got to do that and the boat's not going to drive itself and the people get out and I got to get out there early. And listen, the question behind this is, right, you're just like such a preacher thing to do. Look, here's the question. Here's the invitation. Do you believe that God can provide rest for you if you give up two hours on a Sunday morning? And you are sitting there just going, I know you preach for a long time, but you don't usually preach for two hours, right? No, I'm not just talking about me preaching, right? Because for real, right? But if you say, I'm going to preach, and then I'm going to serve. I'm going to attend one, and then I'm going to serve one. Because we're at the church, and there are neat. Listen, I was so happy. Our, our, women's, our women's ministry had a women's retreat yesterday, and I heard it was just, I wasn't there because I'm not a woman, but that it was just fantastic and wonderful. And I thought actually Nick Fox, our, our uh, associate pastor, kind of had this deal. Did you know that if the women's ministry wanted, they said, hey, we want to do this retreat and we want to have our retreat overnight. We want to do it on a Saturday and a Sunday. Did you know we couldn't do that? And guys, listen, do you know why we couldn't do that? Because if all the women weren't here on Sunday, nothing would get done. Oh, we park people. Parking lot would be fine, well taken care of. 
because God, we don't do it. We don't serve children's ministry, youth ministry, tech team. We don't, we don't do it. And the temptation is, oh, you got to rest. And God says, well, what if serving and attending and showing up is the pathway to rest? What if you follow me and I'll make everything else good? Oh, I can't live generously. I can't, get, I can't go and meet all the needs. Right? And I do that. Right? The question behind that is, will God provide for me? If I give, if I live generously and open-handed and I give and I see a need and I give and I meet it and I go, well, hey, guess what, kids? We're not going to be able to buy that extra thing. We're not going to be able to go out to dinner. We're not going to be able to do that, right? Will God provide for me if I live generously? If I have integrity at work and I just do the right thing and I tell my boss and I say, bro, can't do that. Am I going to lose my job? Then my kids are going to be gone, right? And the question is, who gets to decide what is good? My fears? My instincts? My desires or God? Who gets to tell me what is right? And that's what temptation does. Temptation tells you that you've got to handle this. You can believe in God. That's fine. Just don't trust him with your kids. Certainly don't trust him with your money. Relationships? Nope. Can't trust him with that. People will betray you. Then you'll be hurt. And hurt is bad. It's always, always, always bad. And so what happens is life and our culture, life tempts us towards self-sufficiency. Jesus, though, on the other hand, he invites us to radical dependency. And I'm going to kind of just like talk to us, right? And I'm part of this. I'm in the room, right? Church, right? Our, our online campus. This is, this is all of us right here. It's like, I me, I don't think that we have for one minute sniffed this. I don't think we're close to that kind of radical, 40 days. Listen, I fast from time to time. And like I've said this before, right? If I miss breakfast, I'm fine. If I say I'm fasting at 8.04, my entire body goes into revolt. You're dying. Eat, 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 eat. And you know what? Too many times I go, you're right. I fasted for 18 whole minutes. I, I did it. I'm good. Jesus, aren't you proud? Life tempts us towards self-sufficiency. Jesus, just make a little bread. Just feed yourself. Just get some. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, just make a little bread. And Jesus' response is, well, it's written that it's not all about bread. And Jesus doesn't say that the problem is eating. He says, man doesn't live on bread alone, right? Like, what, like don't, I'm not telling you that Jesus is mad at you if you ever have another bite again. No, he's just saying, he's like, that's not it. That's not all about, and what he's quoting when he says it's, it's, it's written, he's quoting the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, right? And what's going on in Deuteronomy chapter 8 is Moses and the people of Israel. 40 years earlier, the people of Israel were led out of slavery in Egypt. An old man named Moses. Guy was 80 years old. And they've been in the desert for 40 years. So now we've got 120-year-old Moses. And they're right on the edge of the promised land. They're about to inherit all that God has promised them. And Moses, who's kind of cranky at this time because he's like 120 years old, he's reminding them of all the things. Don't forget, 
He says, Israelites, don't forget what you've been through. For 40 years, you've been in the wilderness, and God has been teaching you, and he's been showing you, don't forget. And he says this, Deuteronomy 8, verse 1, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. And I just got to stop right there, and I just got to say, we need to let this get into our head because he says, do you want everything? Then obey. This is the question. We believe that the obedience is the, is the downfall. We believe that following Jesus and doing what God says, oh, I guess I can be good in spite of the command. Listen, God's commands are not an obstacle to goodness. God's commands are not the thing that if we will endure the commands, then we'll find goodness. God's commands are his goodness. He says, obey. And if you just obey, you'll have everything. It'll be set out and be laid out before you. Verse two says, now listen, this is where it gets good. This is the part. Remember. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. And they're standing there going, yep, can't forget that. Still in it. Remember. Remember, for 40 years you walked in here to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He led you here to humble you. Another way of saying humbled you, root, similar roots, is humiliation. Oh, God would never humiliate. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. These are God's people that he led out of slavery by his own hand. Parted waters. Killed the firstborn in all of Egypt. He says, folks, I'm leading you out to make you hungry. And then feeding you with manna. And manna was this thing. It wasn't like, hey, I'm leading you out and every day you're going to stumble on crusty rye bread. There's this manna that had never been seen before. It had never existed before. It was God's own unique and special provision. The Israelites every day walked out of their tents. Manna. Scoop it up. Food every day. Every day. And he told him, he said, don't keep it overnight because it'll go bad. Every day it's going to be here for you. And you can imagine that one guy's like, yeah, sure it is, right? I'm going to get six weeks worth of manna, right? He was, like, he was like one of those hoarders, right? And he puts it in his shed, right? They're like, comes out the next day and it's all gross and there's worms and all that, right? But you know what? He says, well, I don't need that because this is here. Every day for 40 years, God said, don't. He said, I want you to trust me because look, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And listen, it goes on. Your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And when you read discipline, don't think like spank. God will, will you know, kind of corporal punishment you. No, discipline is training. God trains your heart. And do you know why, how he does that? He just says, hey, you've got that desire. What are you going to do with it? Right? I've got, you got that desire. Like you want to be seen and loved and known and you don't feel like you're getting it at home. So why don't you just log in and why don't you just text that lady and just tell her she understands you better anyway. Why don't you just walk down that road? Why don't you, just, yeah, just you, look, you know what you need to do? Your wife doesn't get you. Your husband doesn't get you. You need that other woman. You just need to go there. The question isn't do we have the desire? The question is what do we do with it? Listen, I, I'm Irish. I'll fight you right now. 
right? Some Italian out there is like, let's go, (laughs) right? No, (laughs) sorry. Look, the question isn't do we have desires? The question is what do we do with them? Do I believe that my right to fight is this inherent thing that I get to have and I get to do and I get to insist on because it's what I want to do? No. God humbles us. We have these desires and it gives us an opportunity to choose. Like I just see Adam and Eve in the garden and they're looking at there going, that looks so good. But what I want to know is why at that point doesn't Adam just go, honey, look, oh, that looks good too. Oh, and that looks, oh my gosh, I'm surrounded by goodness. Instead, we're like my kid. I'm going to touch that. We have these temptations in us to be in control, to be self-sufficient, because I don't want to depend. I don't want to trust. I don't want to wait. If I'm hungry, I want to eat food now. In fact, I want to eat food when I'm not hungry because food has become something else and sex has become something else and power has become something else and everything has become something else and more always wants more. You can never satisfy yourself by desires. There is not enough sex. There is sex and a trail of broken relationships when we misuse it. There's no such thing. Listen, I could have the best meal of my life tonight. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to have to eat again. I can't say enough or do enough or be enough on my own to satisfy. But that's the temptation. Just do it. God doesn't want you to be sad. But listen, when Jesus said man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, he's making this point. It's under the surface when we get it and we know it. Life is more than desire mitigation. Life is God creatively providing for you in love. Listen, God created mankind and he placed them in a garden. And the subtext of that is you're going to spend the rest of eternity finding ways that I care for you. And we go, thank you. I've got it from here. I, I'm going to try the sex thing, God. I'm going to try the, the, the dishonest thing, God. I'm going to try. I, thanks, God. I thank God. I got it. Hey, look, I'm going to spend my money the way I want to, God. Listen, I can't. You can't get my time. Listen, I'll go to church when I can, and I'll do all the things right, and I'll send my kids, and I'll do the stuff. But at the end of the day, God, I'm really in control because I'm not sure that you know what's best for me because my desires say otherwise. Now, listen, news, the news, Twitter They don't have a problem with you believing in God. Twitter kind of does. Twitter doesn't want you to believe in God. But for the most part, they're fine if you believe in God. You just can't follow him. You certainly don't trust him with the really important thing, like your kids. Like, like, no, like, we have a new youth pastor. Oh, my kid doesn't want to go to youth. (laughs) Listen. The list of things my kids don't want to do is exhaustive. Kid doesn't want to brush his teeth. Is that okay? Kid, you're going to church. Dad, if I go to church, then I won't get a scholarship. Junior, you're not that good. (laughs) Sorry. He's not in here, is he, right? No, like. Even if he was in here. Here's the thing that I try to teach my kids. Kid, if it's up to you to get a scholarship, you're sunk because it's you and about 100 million other kids in this country. God will get you where you need to be. 
But when I get you to church, it's so that you'll know how to recognize him when he does show up. But he's so tired. Put him in bed. Right? I got to go too. I want my kids to catch me doing my devotional. That means I got to do it. I want my kids to catch me praying. That means I got to I got to do it. We got to teach them, teach ourselves how to prioritize that. Because believing in God is one thing. But what Jesus did, Jesus didn't just believe in God. Jesus trusted him. And he said, I'd rather be hungry. Thanks. Thanks. Because we're not really 100% sure that we can trust him. But look at what Peter, who's Jesus' best friend, said. 1 Peter 5. Jason Casey read it last week. said this. Um, verse six, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. See, here's the thing. We don't like that word humility, right? Humiliation, I'm right. But what he just says is like, if you'll humble yourself, God will lift you up. If you'll, if you'll just do the stuff, if you'll just put God first, you'll be shocked by what you find. You'll be amazed to see the way that God provides. Humble yourself under God's mighty right hand, right? Because why? Why does he say to do that? Um, I lost it. Oh, here it is. Why does he say to do that? He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What if the reason that we're not sure he cares for us is because we haven't actually cast our cares on him? We haven't actually trusted him to provide for us in a way that is significant and meaningful. Every time I get offended, I lash out. Every time somebody says something that I don't like, I tell them, or I take it and I worry about it and I freak out about it and it becomes this major anxious, you know, panic attack episode. What if I'm mad at people who don't think like I do or believe like I do or feel like I do because I think that they're running the country because I think they're in control and not God. And so I stop and I separate and I divide and I begin to see them by the colors that they wear, by the places that they go or by the things that they do. And so my whole life becomes this sense of I can't trust them, I can't trust them. What if we can't trust anybody but we trust God so we're going to love and trust everybody? Because I really feel like our God is big enough for that. And I don't look at you as some list of ideas. I look at you as a reflection of that thing that God did in the garden when he put his Eden, when he put his image in people and said, fill the world with goodness. But we got to decide what's good, what's in here, what tells me, what yells at me, and what compels me. Have another sandwich. Don't forgive. Don't humble yourself. You got to stand up. Or God, who took a cross. And we know how the story ends, right? Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. The devil left him and angels came and attended him. Here's the thing that we don't see in Genesis 3 that we get here, right? Because Matthew chapter 4 is Jesus undoing what Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3, right? Wilderness, temptation, Adam and Eve given. Here's the thing. Adam and Eve got that delicious, delicious fruit, and they lost the garden. Jesus denied the bread, table service by angels. By the way, Jesus now sits at the right hand of Father for all of time where he is worshiped and his need, every need is met and everything in all of creation will someday worship him. That's the Jesus who wants to serve you. And we're like, no way, buddy. Sex. 
<laughs> Pornography. Yeah, right. Sandwiches. And Jesus is like, that's not good. That's not good. So what do we do about this? Because our appetites aren't bad. Like, this is so important, like, that we don't get into some, God hates the human experience. God created the human experience. God made sex. He could have made it purely utilitarian. He didn't. He made it the way that he wanted it because he is good. But he knows that everything has to exist in order. Sex isn't bad as sex. Sex is bad when it's God. Money's not bad as long as it's just money. But when it becomes God, it's bad. Popularity isn't bad unless it's God. Then it's terrible because only God is God. So, how do we use our appetites to create dependence on God in us? All right, a couple things. Number one, fast. Fasting says I'm going to stop eating for a period of time on purpose. Do this. Here's a, here's a way to do it, right? 24 hours a day, once a week for six weeks. So you just say every Wednesday from 8 a.m. to 8 a.m., I won't have any food. I will only eat what I can drink through a straw. You're like ribeye in the blender, <laughs> right? And get the big straws, right? Like those boba straws so you can get it through, right? Like, no, that's not the idea, right? Every day for one day a week, and what you do is you just don't eat. And again, I promise you, you're gonna wake up in the morning and your stomach's gonna go, you're dying, you're already dead and you don't even know it yet. You're not, you're not promise press through use that time to pray to pray for someone to pray for yourself to ask god to show up fast and the second thing is serve here right oh is that self-serving maybe a little bit but i think we got a good thing going on here but i mean it if the women stopped showing up guys if the women stopped showing up there'd be a lot of kids running around in here because we'd shut down children's ministry why why what do we just say? One, any, that's fine. Go serve there. We got tech team. Are you a musician? Can you serve in guest services, right? Can you pray? Can you do the mission? Whatever, something. But I'm just saying, serve and, and fast. You know why? Because that humbles us. When you just say, I'm going to show up and I'm going to serve because it humbles me. You'll see God. People serve. I'm looking at Stephen Rayburn. He's right back. He's got the bright orange ugly shirt on right there. Stephen is a, uh, he is a professor at at Texas State University, and he teaches kids in children's ministry for a long time. Does he do that because that's this radical, difficult expression of all his gifts? No, he does it because he's got something to offer, and there's a need, and he can fill it, and he can meet it. And he just shows up every week to do it. We can do that. We can show up, serve at your place, and it humbles us. Second thing, memorize and meditate the scripture. Jesus didn't have to go. Was that is Ecclesiastes in the front or the back, right? He knows, right? He says, oh yeah, no, I don't have to live. A man doesn't live by bread alone. It lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Meditate and memorize scripture and then submit. Live a life of submission to, to people, to other people. That's called community. Not everybody. I don't know my friend right here. I'm not gonna submit to him quite yet, but I may get to know him. And I'd sound, but I gotta be submitted to somebody to have people that go when I sit in a room, people that know me well enough to go, you've got a terrible attitude, right now what's going on and what i'm like you got that right because that's what my desire is i'll be right and you won't tell me what to do and i'm the bot right but i just go that person loves me and he trusts me and he knows me and he cares enough about me to want what's best for me and if he tells me that i've got a bad attitude i better listen to that and go okay that hurts when you say that and you know, i may even have to say look your your presentation is awful 
um, you're just a mean person, but I trust you. Tell me. Help me. But we got to show up, and we got to be humble, and we got to be submitted, and we got to decide. I'll say yes to this. Or I'll say no wrong. I'll say no to this to say yes to that. What's good? Is good God's presence and provision for me, even if it looks different from what I think I want or I need? Or is goodness me just chasing every want and need and desire in my life for the rest of my die and then ultimately dying unsatisfied? Jesus, I ask that you would give us the courage to stand up against this temptation. And Lord, when we read, when we have these tests, like I'm not, I'm not angry at you for testing because it reveals those things. I pray that you would give me the faith when those things are revealed and I just go, man, I have made an idol out of popularity. I want everybody to tell me how happy they are with me and how much they love me. When I make an idol out of that and you reveal that through a test, I pray that I'd have the courage to just humble myself and submit to you in that. And Lord, I pray that we as your church would be a place where we radically depend and press into you. And I really pray for everybody in the room who's just struggling right now and, and, and they feel empty. And maybe they've got that sense of disillusionment and even dread that all the promises that are just not living up. And I pray that we would find in you that gentle temptation to sit with you and be satisfied. To be filled to overflowing. And Jesus, I... I believe there's like this paradox where in you I am utterly satisfied, absolutely satisfied, and yet always wanting more. But that's how you are. So I pray for those in here who are empty and they feel like it's been 40 days since they've had a meal. I pray that as they look to you, you would fill them and satisfy. I pray for those maybe who have heard your voice and they've never considered that what you want for them is good. They've never even known that there was an option. I pray that you would draw them. I pray, pray for people who are here, people who are at home who have never followed you before and they see you in the wilderness as an invitation to follow them and I pray that they would today, maybe for the first time, maybe they've heard of you or believed in you but they've never followed you. I pray that today they would do that and give their life to you and I pray, Jesus, that that would be what marks us as a congregation this radical dependence on you, even when it doesn't make sense. So we ask Jesus in your name and for your glory, amen. Thank you for joining us today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance and give you peace. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.